Hi, hi, welcome, welcome. This is Metapol with me, Cactus. There's been a distinct lack of positive stories in the past few weeks. More than that, actually, with increasing polarization and political conflict leading up to the election, a rise in conspiracy theories continuing afterwards, and, of course, an attack on the Capitol that's not only directly abhorrent, but also leading to aggressive power grabs in lieu of an evident danger. Of course, all of this has proved many of the predictions and many of the principles of this show, and reinforced the idea that we need to provide an alternative. That being said, let me provide an alternative to the terrifying stories and predictions of the future of the United States with a positive story. The core idea I want you all to keep in mind here is the idea of calcification. Of course, I've used it to replace polarization sometimes because of a core problem with the latter term. Polarization typically describes those on the extremes, those who have possibly anti-democratic views and are willing to seize power in order to exercise their preferred policy proposals. Of course, that is a problem. But calcification is equally, if not greater, of a problem, which is the emotional connection to a specific political attribute, whether that's a policy, a party, or a slogan. Calcification differs from polarization in that it can be an emotional attachment to centrism. It can be an emotional attachment to one specific policy that isn't necessarily on the left-right spectrum. And while that's all well and good as long as you can base it off of critical thinking and off of some of the core principles that underlie a society, this is not the case with political calcification. Instead, political calcification runs straight into the house, metaphorically, and tries to tie up the instinctive or emotional parts of the brain, the quote-unquote reptile brain, and directly connect it into a political policy or a political slogan. This is problematic for many reasons, but most of all that it stops that critical thinking from occurring. It creates processes in which people, instead of actually thinking about the argument that someone is making to them, instead just tries to match it to a pattern that is either left and right. Of course, this is not actually productive, particularly if we want to realign the political scales to move away from conspiracy theories, to move away from partisan conflict, and towards actual productive policy creation. However, we can find a way out of this, and this is one of the best times to do so. However, doing it will require a sustained effort in three areas, politics, power, and reality. To de-escalate, to actually unilaterally disarm, and to be willing to play the long game. So, let's branch off and tell a story in each of these areas. Of course, the political arms rate is a fight over coalitions. It's a fight over getting core groups of people that have an esoteric set of values to vote for one party or the other. The Hidden Tribes report showed that 70% followed certain psychological characteristics that made them part of the exhausted majority, 70% of Americans, in which they didn't believe strongly in one party or the other, and instead wished for some sort of compromise. 
these compromises likely arise from universal principles, ideas that have to be applied to all parties, including the opposition of violence, the opposition of conspiracy theories, and other things that would be considered quote-unquote common sense, and also would be beneficial in the long term in de-escalating many of the problematic effects that we see every day. One example of someone's actually stepping up to this, of course this isn't an endorsement of this person, but Liz Cheney, the third-ranking Republican in the House who unequivocally denounced Trump's actions leading up to the Capitol Hill attack and the attack itself. Joe Biden, while also not perfect, is someone who is the most likely of the well-known Democratic Party politicians to actually take a step in this direction. Unfortunately, one of the core ideas we talk about on this show, corruption, might actually need to be ignored, at least in the government spectrum. There is a necessity to source people who have currently existed throughout the system, and unfortunately, when there are larger problems to solve, every hand needs to be on deck. This pressure from the outside, from extreme elements, which is able to bring awareness even to those who are part of the game who are on the take to actually recognize these problems and to serve to reduce them, may actually provide a path out. Even if a person has already been influenced, has already been put into place through various financial corruptions that would be illegal in other countries, or even if they're aware of an existing revolving door system that would benefit them to vote in certain directions with regards to economics, there is nonetheless a risk assessment that they have to do. Do they prioritize their own personal careers, or the possibility of literally getting attacked? Of course, one way of reducing the influence of corruption is to tune down one part of the scale, to say that the influence that companies can assert is less. But the other way to reduce corruption is to tune up the other part of the scale, to help them recognize that they might no longer have a country, that they might no longer have their lives if they let this escalation continue. And I think that's exactly what has happened here. There's also an importance of diffusing the media, and of not seeking oppressive power for power's sake. These are the two areas that we'll talk later, but let's just assume that there's an element that's making progress on those fronts at the same time as we talk about this one. In the most optimistic scenario, this is something that can be started by Biden. In the archetype of the quote-unquote Sista Soja movement, in which Bill Clinton denounced a far-left extremist calling for assassinations of white people, Biden could approach in a similar method, not only uniting with many elements of the right, who denounce the conspiracy theorist elements in that party, but also denouncing the fringe elements of the left as well. Biden could go out and explicitly address the most concerning ideas within right-wing circles, including technological censorship, including a gathering of corporate power, and specifically make the distinction between the small minority of QAnon supporters, election conspiracy theorists, etc., and the vast majority of Republicans. Imagine a statement by Biden, for example, standing up for Ron Paul, someone who has clearly delineated himself from these conspiracy elements, and nonetheless has been attacked, possibly by mistake, by these technological elements. Biden could make a joint statement with Paul or with other Republicans or centrists who have been attacked through these technological methods, 
and create a clear delineation, a clear standard that he expects the Democratic Party members and any technological elements who may align themselves with the Democrats to follow. Moreover, there has to be a willingness by both parties to play the long game. Historically, there have been two models that presidential elections have been decided upon. One is the turnout model, in which there are attempts to appeal to fringe elements of the base and to demonize the opposing party to motivate people based on fear. This is incredibly successful in the short term, as you can see in the 2020 election. The other is the distraction model, in which politicians and their media allies try to elevate different policies that they are already favored upon instead of actively appealing to voters on whatever is most salient to them. Think of a politician being asked a question about economics and instead talking about some of their culture war preferences. This also leads to further calcification as those issues that they're most likely to talk about are exactly the type of issues that are likely to be contributing to this calcification. If there's a willingness from one party to actually play the long game, as for example even McCain or Romney was when they made more moderate appeals for the Republican Party, then there will be eventual advances in various policies related to that. I talked about this to some extent on the post-election episode, where I talked about how McCain and Romney's moderate appeal legitimized the Republican Party for many working class voters and could eventually have contributed towards Donald Trump's 2016 win. Similar strategies can be constructed by both the Democratic and Republican parties, once again appealing to that quote-unquote exhausted majority. Moreover, there is an exponential growth aspect to this as well, as the more competition you have over these voters, the more salient they become in the media, the more people identify with that group of voters, and the more each party needs to appeal to them. Essentially, what these heightened stakes reveal is a pathway to actually connect with that exhausted majority, in both reducing corruption through their own personal instincts and actually opposing many of these fringe elements. What this could do is create a dominant moderate party through a virtuous non-aggression cycle, where many of those tactics that have been so successful in the past are counteracted by a voting bloc, a powerful voting bloc that is actively against many of these elements. And not only would they be against them politically, but they would also be attracted to news networks that are more optimistic and that are less based on attacking people based on their partisan preferences, and instead to a more coalitionary, to a more evidence-based news program as well, not only extending the benefits to the politicians, but also then further influencing media that is also moving in this direction. However, as I talked about, this needs to happen in conjunction with de-escalation in power and media. Most importantly, Many of the good faith attempts, and they do exist, by democratic figures such as Biden cannot easily be interpreted as good faith, because there is attempts by other elements of the Democratic Party to actually escalate tensions and grab power. This power can be political, financial, or social, as you see increasing pressures to remove, for example, moderate Republicans from social media sites, to remove entire platforms that may not actually have higher rates of conspiracy theorists than Facebook or Twitter, and to create an escalating war in the financial world in actually attacking companies or groups that donate to one party or another. 
Of course, this in conjunction with much of the political calcification we talked above reduces the trust that people can have in good faith attempts. Because if one member of a party is trying to reach out while another is trying to seize as much power as they can in order to exercise control over an unwilling opponent, then there's not going to be much of that connection actually being built, even if there are good faith actors on the left. This is why there has to be a willingness to diffuse power. There has to be a willingness, as I talked about before, to sign off of some of the possibilities, to say unilaterally from Joe Biden that there should be no pressure put on social media to attack the majority of Republicans, for example, even if they disagree on things like abortion, transgender issues, immigration, trade, or other well-known policies, that the extent of any action should only be focused on QAnon or other conspiracy theories and should be enforced across the board. I think it's completely possible that Joe Biden makes such a statement if he is able to see through media tribalism. He's made similar statements in the past, denouncing violence on the left wing, as well as opposing some of the more extreme economic issues from his own side of the party. I see no reason why this can't extend to the technological domain or to any other field of power. Moreover, what this and what many elements of the pandemic and of the current economic circumstances has paved the way for is the end of safetyism. Safetyism is an ideology most dominant in parenting or education that essentially distrusts any individual and tries to centralize as much power as possible. You can think of this as parents constantly following their children around, but also having surveillance bills that are intentionally vague to punish anyone for quote-unquote treason even if they are undertaking actions that are beneficial to the majority of the American public. This also extends to dealings in the private sector, in which you can likely expect technologists reducing the extent in which many terms of service agreements are malleable and flexible and arbitrary, instead trying to define more rigid standards in order to show a consistent principle and in order to actually give them the ability to say, look, we can't do this, when there are conspiratorial or extreme elements of the left. However, the greatest problem with this flowchart is that it requires overcoming conspiratorial media in unique ways on both the left and the right. The main idea on the right is that if there are good faith approaches being made, then there has to be a connection to those good faith approaches. There has to be a spotlighting of the centrist majority, of figures like Joe Biden when they're actually willing to participate, as opposed to the more fringe elements of the left that will always exist. Of course, this pattern of shadowboxing, once again, only selects for those very actions. The more one actually tries to cover the extreme elements of the left, the more likely they are to take over, and the same is true for the right. So there needs to be, just like the unilateral disarmament from Biden's side, there has to be a similar approach in groups like Fox News to actually cover Biden's attempts to unite both sides of the country. There's actually evidence that the news network might be going in this direction, particularly in order to combat groups like OANN or Newsmax, which are essentially fully conspiratorial groups that were propagating many of the election conspiracy theories following the election. 
Fox News actively pushed back on many of those conspiracy theories, calling the election for Biden at around the same time, and has consequently isolated many of those fringe elements. However, this also gives them the opportunity to actually pivot towards the center to make an appeal to those broader Republicans and centrists who do not subscribe to those conspiracy theories. With that new audience in mind, there is a significant contingent to actually say at the same time while demonizing some of the more far left figures to say that look, Biden might actually be on our side of the team for once. That Biden might actually be someone who might contribute to our convergent goals, to the goals of the center left and the center right, to de-escalate this calcification and this conflict. What may be much more problematic is the conspiratorial elements of the left-wing media, which are both more dominant, for example spreading racial conspiracy theories after the attack on the Capitol, and are also more entrenched in their power. After a dominant win by Joe Biden, they are more likely to actually connect with those far-left elements of the base, as opposed to many of the far-right elements of Fox News actually abandoning them. This means that there's going to be more of a readership that subscribes that subscribes to many of these left-wing papers or that watches left-wing channels that still believe in those racial conspiracy theories or other conspiracy theories propagated by the far left. The left-wing media elements are also centralized around Biden. For once, corruption could be useful in overturning some of these negative influences. And while there is a strong contingent of conspiracy theorists on the left who are entrenched in media, there is an ability to route them out almost unilaterally by Joe Biden and by the Democratic establishment. In fact, it would be as simple as actually just explicitly denouncing them and talking about the political excesses of the extreme left from someone like Joe Biden. Essentially, the quote-unquote cancel culture that directly connects these problematic elements with the power that the media wields is actually something that could be beneficial and can be used against them if centrist Democrats agree. While there is a sizable minority of left-wing journalists who subscribe to racial conspiracy theories and other conspiracy theories, an active attempt to root them out by the majority would be successful, as not only is it the majority of those news outlets, but it is by far the vast majority of the actual voting population and of the Democratic Party. However, the problem is that the only ones who have proven themselves willing to actually exercise these aggressive powers are the elements of the fringe left and the fringe right. So there is very likely to be a heavy startup cost for this internal conflict at the very beginning, particularly for the centrist side. Nonetheless, with significant enough organizing and support by figures like Joe Biden, this is wholly possible. Unfortunately, all of this assumes too much that politics is rational. All of this assumes that people will be able to recognize their long-term interests and actually go towards seizing them in both political parties. All of this recognizes that Fox News will realize that there's money to be made in appealing to that exhausted majority. All of this recognizes that Joe Biden will realize the danger that far-left media corruption plays and actually weaponize his own tools in order to ensure that this danger won't last. These are three critical turning points that we all should be pushing towards, and quite frankly, I don't think they're all too likely. 
But it also wasn't likely that Donald Trump would win the election. It wasn't likely that conspiracy theorists would elevate themselves to the stage of competing for the Democratic presidential nomination. And it certainly wasn't likely, decades ago, that the American political system would escalate to the point of an attack on the Capitol. As I often talk about, many of the same elements that are weaponized to create chaos right now, such as network effects, such as emotional appeals and pathologens, can be turned against themselves. You can contribute right away by sharing this podcast, but not only that, by also calling your political representatives, trying to get the word to Biden and trying to represent that exhausted majority. Actually having involvement, actually having direct approaches to engaging with those represented, to actually engaging with those representatives and those officials does have a political impact. Moreover, there are active things that can be done in order to push forwards for a better media as well. You can look at your own media diet and make sure that you're actually choosing those channels that are more focused on coalition building, on unifying, and on reducing calcification. You can spread good news sources. You can share this one as I talked about before, any other news source that you've seen that you think contributes to these ideas, and also in producing your own content and sharing that information to your own circle of friends. Every person who's convinced to step off the conspiracy train could very well do the same for someone else. And all these convergent network effects and abilities can line up just as easily as the problems have lined up for us. So with that note of optimism, go out into the world, keep these core ideas in mind, and be optimistic. Have hope in the world, because what other option do you really have?